to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Tonight, we're here to talk about the readings for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost in the three-year lectionary, and tonight we're focusing specifically on Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 15. Yes, should I read that now, Will? Please do. So Romans 5, 6 to 15, Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Here ends our reading. Excellent. Thank you, Pastor. Welcome. So um, I think we should just approach this verse by verse tonight. And there are a few kind of like logical section breaks that we can we can kind of organize our discussion around tonight. So let's talk about this first section here. Uh, it kind of begins with this almost like psychological observation of humans in general, right? So some people might consider dying for a righteous person uh, or a good person, but no one wants to die for someone who is unrighteous or a bad person. Or a bad person. Yeah, we talk about um, you know people who have um, children who are sick. Uh, I've heard this time and time again. I wish it were me in that bed, not my child. Mm-hmm. Like parents just instinctively, they would die for their children. Right. And because you love them, you, 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 being a parent is one of those odd things that people talk about it and then you experience it like, oh, yeah, this is strange. There's this devotion towards this child that it's kind of mind numbing. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you know, for a family member, or a loved one, or maybe our best friend, and, and one of the gospel illustrations that I've used in the past is, you know, the hand grenade goes into the foxhole. And one of the soldiers throws himself on it to protect his buddies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because he loves those guys that, you know, he's fought with them. They've, they've, they've bonded all that stuff because right. they're on his side. He's on their side. But, but what about, would you throw yourself on a hand grenade to save the lives of people that had treated you poorly, didn't respect you, didn't love you, didn't like you, yeah. teased you, all that stuff. And, and that's what this is. Right. Okay. Um, right. 
verse eight, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's, right. That's yeah. Awful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And you kind of, as we were prepping for this, mentioned this interesting like psychological phenomenon where there are some people in our own minds who can do no wrong and some people who can do no right. We kind of like categorize people in that way and it flavors our perception of them. And, and you had something. Yeah. And sometimes those people change, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes it's your spouse uh, that you swear your spouse thinks that you can do no right. And other times you can do no wrong. Right. That, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But so it's interesting from a spiritual perspective, when we're outside of Christ, we can do no right. Hmm. There's nothing, you know, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags, the Bible tells us, that we can do no right outside, nothing right to do. We can't do right outside of Christ. But in Christ, then our lives are a sweet, a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. But, but here, Christ died for us while we were still at odds. Yeah, yeah. So for people who might not be familiar with our theology, could you maybe expound on that a bit? Because like, so people will say, okay, um, it certainly seems like there are people who aren't Christians who are doing these good things in the world. So what, what do you mean when you say that um, uh, outside of Christ? Oh, yes. No, we, we talk about spiritual righteousness and spiritually righteous acts. Hmm. And then we talk about civil righteousness. And we thank God for the unbelievers who drive the buses safely or the brain surgeon who's got incredible skill, even though they may not be Christian. Mm-hmm. They're making the world a better place. Right. And we thank God for those for, for the people around us who are doing good in the world. But but those things that they do good in the world are are not are not accepted in God's eyes as good works. Hmm. And part of that whole whole deal is that God doesn't want to give people the impression that they can earn their way into his paradise. Right, right. This whole, it, it's, it's, it's an on-off switch. Either you're in God's kingdom or you're not in God's kingdom. Right. And you can't work yourself into God's kingdom. Exactly. And, and that seems to be what this first section is emphasizing. Like this seems to fly in the face of any sort of like works righteousness or even like synergism. Like this idea that somehow we cooperate with God to merit our own salvation. Yeah, synergism. Two two wonderful Greek words put together soon, meaning with and ergos being work. And we use that in symphony. That's with and the word for sound. Mm. We use that S-Y-N prefix in a lot of our words. But yeah, that that whole idea that we have to sort of cooperate. God does his part. We do our part. Mm Mm-hmm. This throws that away. I think I interrupted you. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's that's just what I was going to say. It, it really highlights the fact that there was nothing in us that merited salvation. Christ died at a time when we were totally at odds with God, and there was nothing in us that would have merited Christ's atoning sacrifice in that way. Yeah, and then you have to get right down to the heart of it. Like That's a kind of a pun. Uh, <laughs> that, that being that God is love. Mm. And that... That it's God's for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and and even when we were you know, if you die for someone who's your enemy, you know, greater love than has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, "Okay, 
but he did that and we weren't his friends. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. So maybe that's another thing that this section is, you know, trying to emphasize is that not only is it emphasizing that, um, you know, we didn't deserve any of this, but also it kind of provides us an example of what extreme love for one another looks like. Yeah. You love even the unlovable. Right. Because outside of Christ, we are unlovable. Right. Yeah. Which is a hard pill to swallow. Like we, you know, we like to think we're good people and we're, you know, somehow whatever that God called us to be Christians because something in us. Mm-hmm. But no, all that motivation for salvation, the whole work of it is from God's heart. Right. Not right. from us, not from our efforts. There is no one who seeks God, no, not one. Uh, you know, that, so it's all God. Right. Right. And that, of course, you know, the, the, we've talked about this so many times, two religions in the world, one that says you're saved by what you do, and the other one that says that God saves you. Mm-hmm. And I have to think if, if you know, th- thinking about a parent, how you love your children, you love them even when they're helpless. Mm-hmm. And that's the way God loved us, his children, even when we were helpless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like, I, I think it's, it's, I think it's um, really insightful that the Godhead is revealed to us in this like father son perspective, because right. I, I think the love that we have for our children is one of those kind of the only, one of the only places in the world where you see like a truly sort of unconditional love in many cases, like it doesn't matter what they do and they certainly haven't merited love in in many cases. Right. And you just love them because they're your children. Right. Yeah. You just, you love them because they're, they're your children. It's just part of who we are as human beings. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Let's take a look at verse nine. This is interesting. So verse nine says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's so this is an interesting verse. idea here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just your initial thoughts on that. Well, so we make a big deal about, um, well, my favorite verse, John the Baptist sees Jesus co- coming towards him and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is the sin bearer, um, not just for those who ultimately believe in him, but he's the sin bearer for all people of all time. Mm-hmm, right. So this this universal thing, this and we can call it a universal justification, the fancy word for being declared righteous. This universal justification is what Paul's talking about in verse nine. Hmm. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Okay. That's for everybody. Okay. This is the message we Christian people need to get out to the world is that God loves them, Christ forgives them, and it's a free gift. But then you get this next part after the comma in English, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So he throws in this idea that, yeah, Christ's redemptive work is universal, but salvation, personal salvation, is individual. Hmm. Okay, you, you're, you're, not, you're not saved because you're part of a certain tribe or group or anything, it's you as an individual are called to faith. And that's what, that's what saves you. Now this is important because I think a lot of Christians 
wouldn't make any distinction between justification and salvation. Salvation. Yeah. 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 And and you have to, because our faith is based on on the objective reality of Christ having died on the cross. Mm-hmm. That's the object of our faith. If it weren't for all people, um, if it weren't that Christ died for all people, then how would you ever know that he died for you? Mm-hmm. Right. It, it you'd wonder, well, am, am I, am I someone that God loved? Did Christ shed his blood for me? Um, no, you, you, we proclaim that Christ loved the world, that God loved the world, sent his son, Christ loved the world and shed his blood to remove our sin. Right. And that's right. the object. That's the object of our faith. That's what we believe in. Because if, if, if it, if it meant that we had to believe in something to create salvation, well, then it's up to us again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and this is where a lot of people get tripped up because just kind of playing devil's advocate here. So like uh, reformed Christians would say something along the lines of if Christ's sacrifice atoned for everyone, then everyone would be saved, right? And, and that that's kind of the argument that they make for limited atonement, this idea that he only atoned for the sins of the elect is, is their belief. Right. Right. And I, one of my analogies and all, all, all of my analogies fall flat, but one of my analogies is that the richest person in the world put a million dollars in everybody's bank account. The money's actually there in the bank account, but some people don't believe it mm. and they never go check their bank account. Mm. What a shame. What a loss. Yeah. yeah. Actually, this might be a good, you have a Lenski quote. Lenski's a comment, a Lutheran commentator who's, uh, you know, um, deceased quite a few years now, but this might be a good place for that that first one, Will, if that's okay. Sure, yeah. He writes regarding this passage, being enemies, we were reconciled to God. This is the objective act. It wrought a change with or upon these enemies, not within them. It as now that, did... Can I just interrupt you one second? Can of course. You, that sentence, that, that's a fascinating sentence. Could you read that sentence again? Sure. It wrought a change with or upon these enemies, not within them. Yeah, so it's kind of about them, right? Yeah. It's surrounding them, but it's not within. Okay, please continue. It as yet did not turn their enmity into friendship, did not make the world the kingdom. It changed the unredeemed into the redeemed world. The instant Christ died, the whole world of sinners was changed completely. It was now a world for whose sin atonement had been made, and no longer a world with unatoned sins. Let us note right here that, whereas Christ died 1900 years ago, his death was ever effective, as it says in Revelation 13, verse 8. His atonement and the reckoning are valid for the universe of men. Even all the damned in hell were thus reconciled to God. Not as men who were never reconciled are they damned, but as men who spurned God's reconciliation through Christ. Now that yeah. is really interesting. Yeah, so Linsky's a... going so far as to say that even the people in hell right now have been reconciled to Christ through his sacrifice in a way. But if you believe what John the baptizer said about Jesus, then you have to say yes and amen to what uh, Lenski states. Yeah, right. They have been reconciled. They, their sins have been paid for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which and that's what that's what Paul's getting at in this section, that um, 
you know, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, that we, we have been justified by his blood. And then when we personally, individually come to faith in that, then our sins are personally forgiven and we are, we have, we have salvation. We have salvation. Now let's address another misconception here because the way that you just framed that almost makes it sound like there is some merit on our part. So like people might be tempted to believe that, okay, we can say that Christ's atonement was for everyone, even non-Christians, but you need to have faith in order to kind of accept the gift, kind of going back to your your example, if you need to check your bank account, right? Right. That's so something a- you need to do to access what has already been given to you for free. Right. Now that kind of seems to imply like a sort of, synergism there right there's that soon ergos word again working yep. together so i'll just quote philippians and get myself out of this mess <laughs> uh continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure mm. or ephesians for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves this is the gift of god mm. so not only is this objective or universal justification god's total work but our being called to believe in that is God working on us personally, individually, in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Mm. Okay. So still, still only God. Okay. The, so that, yeah, that's really important because I think some people see this objective, subjective justification distinction as a way of like answering the question, like why are some people saved and not others? Right. So like, so pe- people see this as an explanation for like why the whole world isn't saved. It's because, you, well, you didn't do your part because you didn't have faith, right? Yeah, and, that, and, and, and basically what, what Lindsay brought up was the fact that people are not saved because they spurn the gift. Right, yeah. They spurn the gift. And that's why it's yes. so important for us to understand our true state in God's eyes. And that's what, I'm going to put that back on the screen a second, what verse 8 talks about. But God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. And that it wasn't any merit or worthiness in us that moved us to believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. We were exposed to God's word. The Holy Spirit worked in our hearts. But it's that obdurate sin of unbelief. that, dam- that That's the ultimate sin. Right. That's the sin against the Holy Spirit. Right. That, and right. That's, the, that's the unforgivable sin. Right. Right. So we're not somehow saying that like faith is something that we have to do on our own. Uh, faith is still a free gift from God and something that we can't have apart from his giving it to us. Right. I mean, Luther in the catechism, you know, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe my Lord Jesus Christ to come to him. Yeah. But the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we have to understand is God's gracious calling his invitation to us. Um but that word that comes to us is is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives life to our dead souls. Right. We kind of have to think about a lifeguard uh, giving mouth to mouth resuscitation to someone, who, a drowning victim. Hmm. Like we're dead, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit touches us and 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 gives us spiritual life. Right. Right. Okay. So there's almost like there there are two different things God is doing. Uh, when he we justifies us, right? There's this objective thing that Christ has done for everyone for all time on the cross. But then there's also this this other thing that God does for us, this giving of the faith necessary to 
uh, have that object of reality like applied to us and efficacious for us. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's twofold, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we'd like to better understand the second one, this personal realization and and belief. We'd like to better understand the the mechanism behind that. And again, answer that question, why some and not others, Mm -hmm. but it's a question we, we can't answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. The important thing is just to keep in mind that the people who reject that sort of objective atonement that's already been given to them, that's, that's kind of on them, right? Oh, it is on them. They, they carry that. Yeah. 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 That's the, that's that unforgivable sin. Right. Right. Okay. Now Linsky did have a kind of follow up to this that touches on this discussion that we just had. Do you mind if I go ahead and. No, please. So Linsky continues the objective act affected through Christ for the whole world as a unit is to be followed by the subjective act in each individual, which is not again affected through Christ, but through the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation calling to us, be reconciled to God. Second Corinthians five, 18 through 21. This is a second and different act. It too is wrought by God, but now makes the individual other by changing his enmity into faith. In verse 11, Paul states it thus, we received the reconciliation, i.e. received it by faith. Receiving the object of reconciliation through Christ in faith is the personal reconciliation of the individual spoken of in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Okay, and that, so let's put that back up on the screen. The um, Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So recon- to be reconciled means you're brought back into a favorable relationship with someone. Right. And and it's and, and so again, here you can just see Paul. He's thinking, okay, Christ died for all people of all time. And we have been called to faith in that. And then, you know, he does talk about uh, engaging in the ministry of reconciliation, mm-hmm. actually taking God's means of grace, his word, his sacraments out to people and personally having, witnessing them being reconciled to God by the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. He's seeing those, that two, the two sides of that same coin, Christ justifies the world. And then through this ministry of reconciliation, people are called to receive that wonderful gift. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Good. Good. All right, so let's move on to the last section here, um, starting in verse 12. So verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Let's just stop there for a second. Okay. We kind of touched a little bit on this uh, last week with Pastor Astley, right? This idea that sin isn't counted where there is no law, or I think last week it was phrased as there's no transgression where there is no law. Yeah. So if you're curious about that, I would encourage everyone to go and listen to our discussion from last week, because that was really the main focus of, uh, of what we did last it, week. It was. And, and here um, you have this idea through, through one man in verse 12, uh, namely Adam. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this Adam ends up being, and I, I like it when C.S. Lewis, Lewis uses the phrase when he's talking to people, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Mm. It reminds us of the fact that, yeah, we are children of Adam and Eve, and it reminds us that we've inherited their sin. Right. Okay. It just reminds us that we're sinful people. Right. Adam 
in, you know, all mankind fell in Adam's fall, I think as the hymn puts it, that we, uh, we kind of, ju- he fell off the ship and then all of us have fallen off the ship after him with him. You know? mm-hmm. Right. It, uh, so here you have Adam who, who was originally sinless, who was spiritual, who was intelligent, who was designed to live forever. And he blows it. Mm-hmm. And then all of us afterwards follow in his train. Now, there are some comparisons that Paul's going to make to Christ. Uh, and it's interesting. Christ is sinless. Christ is spiritual. Christ is intelligent. But Christ is God. Right. And therefore, he cannot sin. We say about Adam and Eve that it was possible for them to not sin, but also possible for them to sin. Mm-hmm. We say mm-hmm. about Jesus that it was not possible for him to sin. Right. And right. we say about us, pardon the double negatives, not possible not to sin. Right. Okay. So Adam is one type, Christ is another, and then we're children of Adam and Eve. Right. Yeah. Now let's talk about this idea because a lot of people on the outside see this as a really unfair sort of deal, right? So because Adam sinned, one person sinned, now all of his descendants are also somehow guilty or partaking in the sin that he committed. Right. We are, we, are, we are born in the image of our parents. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. We're born in the image of our parents. But, but here's, and, and maybe we need to jump to the, uh, to the next slide because this really is fascinating. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam being a type of Christ. Now, um, our sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Adam had a direct command from God to not eat that fruit from that tree. Mm-hmm. He had a direct command. Direct commands did not come in again until Moses. Mm. Okay. Yet death reigned from Adam, Adam to Moses. Okay. Right. And our sinning was not like the transgression of Adam in that there was no clear command that we were we as people were breaking in that time hmm. until Moses gives God gives Moses. That, that word, the Ten Commandments, and a bunch of others, uh, which God gives to his people. But everybody still died. Death still reigned. We're all sinful people, all one in Adam, as it were. Right. But who was a type of the one who was to come? Now, people say it's not fair. We're stuck in that boat with Adam, even though we didn't do anything wrong. We end up being born sinful. But here's the, here's the cure. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, about him for many. So the gift, the free gift is not like the trespass in that it was a good act. It was a deliberate act for the benefit of others. Right. Okay. The trespass right. was, was self-absorption. It was self-serving. It was self, self, self. God, I don't want you to be God. But, right. the free, but the free gift was a deliberate action that grew out of love and concern for others, mm. whereas Adam's action was self, self, selfish. Right. Me, me, right. me. Okay? Yeah. So in that way, it, it's, it's, it's not like the trespass. But the gift, the cure is greater than the disease. Mm. Because it's the son of God who sheds his blood and dies. That's very different than Adam and Eve sinning. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean there. And so, so like, yeah, let's talk about that, 
difference and maybe the similarity too, because so verse 14, as you mentioned, says that Adam is a type of the one to come who we take to mean Jesus, right? Yes. So that that's really interesting because uh, what I am assuming this verse is saying is that um, just as we all were guilty and fell in Adam, we're all redeemed in Christ, right? Is that and what that's yeah. saying? That, and that's, if you back up a few verses, we talked about the fact that Christ redeemed the world. Yes, right. Adam's action bring about the fall of the world. Christ's action brings about the redemption of the world. Right, right. But Christ's action was done for people who didn't love him. Mm. Okay? Right. Adam's action was done out of love of self. Mm. Right. And, and and the fact that it it's the son of God who bleeds and dies, well, that's a greater gift than we could ever have a corollary to on the negative side. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so some people in the history of church have called Adam's sin, the Felix culpa, the happy sin, or right. the fortunate sin. Cause it's almost implying that like, it's a good thing that it was Adam was the one who sinned because then there's this sort of like universality. It, it is interesting to think about like what would happen if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, but maybe like some of their descendants did. It seems like it would result in like this, these two kingdoms where you have this one group of people who have remained sinless and this other group who have become guilty of their parents' sin. And like, it does seem theologically important that it was Adam who committed the first sin. The first man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Because, you know, there's kind of this universality to it that the atonement has that the fall has. And there's this parallel here that we wouldn't otherwise have if it wasn't Adam who committed that sin, right? Yeah, there, there, there's worldwide consequences for both Adam's action and Jesus' action. Yeah. Isn't it uh, in Lord of the Rings, the, the elves uh, are immortal, aren't they? I'm not sure. I'm not, they not... kind of they, they don't seem to die unless they're like killed you know, harshly. Hmm. But so if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, then they'd still be alive. Right. And if some of their grandchildren had sinned, well, they wouldn't be, but Adam, it's a weird, it's a weird thought. <laughs> it is a weird thought. Right. So it seems like there, there's almost like this sort of providence in that it happened the way it did. And of course we, d- we don't want to say that like, and we, we don't say that God caused Adam to sin or something like that. And you also don't want to say it's a good thing that Adam sinned. <laughs> right. You, you, just yeah. don't want to say, you just don't want to say that. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Good. So the big point here is that the universality of the fall mm-hmm. and the universality of Christ's redemptive work. Right. And as we're called to faith in Jesus by the ministry of reconciliation, then everything is fine. The gift is greater than the trespass. Right. The cure is greater than the disease. Okay. Very Probably good. a good time to wrap it up if you're okay with that. Sure. Okay. And you have a prayer for us this evening? I do. Okay, then we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, give us an increase of faith, hope, and love, and that we may obtain what you have promised. Make us love what you have commanded. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.